Hello, Curious Mothers. This is Kristen here. Just wanted to give you a little bit of a heads up that this episode of The Curious Mother deals with some pretty tough topics. So although we did not use any foul language, it still may not be the best of our episodes to listen to with your kiddos around. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be covering some pretty hard topics, so you will hear this warning again just for the episodes that might be a little bit harder for a child audience. Thank you for listening. You are listening to The Curious Mother, a place where we unpack all things related to mothering. This is a community where we aim to create a comfortable space that allows for active discussion without judgment. Find us at thecuriousmother.com and follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at thecuriousmother. Welcome back to The Curious Mother. I'm Kristen Daly. And I'm Melissa Miller. So Kristen, what have you been curious about? Well, funny you should ask, Melissa. Um, I've actually, we've had some interesting times in the Daily House and um I was in a situation where I felt prompted to put spyware on a daily phone. Um, we, when we first did the, gave the phone, there was regular monitoring of text messages, and then we had some breaches of trust in the daily house. And I felt really compelled to be able to to track more in depth. And of course, there is a variety of software options out there for now for parents who want to spy on their kids. And I have been getting these reports of the text messages, and I kind of feel like I'm reading my child's diary. Ooh, ooh. How do you <laughs> feel about that? I don't feel good about it. Yeah. To be, you know, and the thing is, is that this actually kind of triggers something from my own childhood um, in that I was an avid diary keeper. And I, uh, when I was an adolescent, my parents were worried about me, and they didn't quite know how to bust through my shell. So my father read my journal. Oh, gosh. And he, um, he, I, he asked me to go hiking with him. And I already knew I was in trouble, you know, for various other reasons. But we got to the top of Mount Mitchell, which is the highest peak in North Carolina. And we sat down at a bench, and my father shared with me that he had read my journal. Oh. And he, like, and basically I'm at the top of this mountain, <laughs> no place to run. And he wanted to let me know that he knew everything I was doing, every, you know, all the different ways that I had lied or deceived. And I, it is one of those moments that is burned into my memory. They had to be Oh, the amount of violation that I felt. And especially, I mean, now as a parent, especially a parent of an adolescent, there's a part of me that gets it, you know, like, you know, that the journal is the place where probably they're being the most raw and authentic. And so it is a very tempting place to be. Yeah. But it's also where they're being the most raw and the most authentic. And so... I have really struggled. Like we, it's been a week that we've had the spyware, and I'm kind of thinking about canceling it, mostly just because I don't, I don't like having intrusions. Now, what the spyware does is the upside is they don't send you everything, you know. So I'm not reading every single thing, but what it does is it looks for certain phrases or words, and it will flag those specific things. But some of the stuff it's flagging is still just conversations he's having that maybe have like an ugly tone or something like mm-hmm. that, you know. But it's still, I just feel like I'm intruding and I don't like it. Right. You know. <laughs> well, I, I think this is awesome to talk about because I 
get questions from parents all the time of, should I read my daughter's journal? Yes. And I think it's one of those, um, I, I think it's a hot button topic. And I think it's great that we break down kind of, I think both of our opinions is very strongly no. Yes. But I think we need to talk about why no, yes. right? Because yes. I do think when a parent is concerned, mm-hmm. maybe doesn't know exactly what's going on, it feels like um, the the insider tip, right? Yes. Like, I can be a better parent if I know what's going on. <laughs> yes, which is exactly like I was doing some research just to find out what kind of guidance parents get. And I found this one, um, it was on the Today Show, they have a parent section. And um, it is from 2006, so it is dated information. But um, they had Dr. Ruth Peters, who had written a book called Laying Down the Law, the 25 Laws of Parenting to Keep Your Kids on Track, Out of Trouble, and Pretty Much Under Control, which I have to say, I probably wouldn't be drawn to a book with that title anyways. But her law number 12 was Don't Be Afraid to Snoop. And so here's what she said. Of all the parenting issues that I deal with, this is one of the stickiest. Of course you want to trust your child and treat his possessions as private. But what if the kid's behavior raises significant suspicion? Does that give you the right to rifle through the bedroom reading notes or journals or search drawers for drugs or paraphernalia? You're darn tootin' it does. I swear to God, that's what she said. Um, (laughs) And I just, I have to admit that I read that and I was like, no, 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 You know? um, Can you say why? Well, I mean, part of it is it's that violation of trust. It's that violation of privacy. And I think that what's tricky is when we we tend to, when we don't have any information, mm-hmm. we take that lack of information and we can turn it into negative information. That's right. right? That worry takes over and we yes. get a worst case scenario. Yeah. I mean, we've all been there, right? Yeah. You text a friend. I went through this just the other day. I texted a friend about the evening plans we had and they didn't text back. And where my head went was, oh, they've forgotten about the plans or they're not thinking about the plan. You know, it goes, it takes no information, nothing, no information, and it goes to a negative space. And I think that that's the tricky part is when we feel disconnected from our kids, we tend to take that as being something that's not healthy. Yeah, we imagine the worst. There must be something bad going on. Exactly. Yep. And, And there's so many images and media and all this that gives us this, um, these, these fears that it's easy to wrap onto them. Yeah. But the thing that, you know, especially with the journals, so I was not an average, avid journal keeper growing up. Uh Um, But when I used a journal, it was when I was in a highly emotional state, when I was furious, angry, so sad. And I was in my most emotional state, totally irrational, right? Like overwhelmed by feeling. And I would write these like hate letters to my parents. (laughs) I mean, or hey, you know, just word vomit. Yes. Looking, if I had read it the next day or the next month or the next week, I would look back and be like, oh, whoa, whoa. (laughs) I don't really feel that way about you. (laughs) But if my parents had read that, and maybe they did. Um, if they had read that, they would have been really worried. Yes. But it wasn't stuff that I was really doing. It was just feelings. Yes. That and it, calmed yeah. down, right? <laughs> I know. We talk about this principle in this one therapy I do called dialectical behavior therapy. We talk about the idea of emotional mind and rational mind. Yes. And an emotional mind, you are irrational. And I think that it's so – I love that point that you made because it is – Absolutely what happens. I actually, it made me reflect. And um, so I have 
my old journal. And and this is why there's a disclaimer in this episode, because not everybody needs to hear the deep, deep, dark undercurrents of Kristen Daly's brain. Um, But it's funny, I I was looking at it, and I was given this journal when I was 12 by an aunt, and... Um, it is called a woman's journal. We're going to have to put a picture of this up because <laughs> it is so sweet and almost a little so house on the prairie. <laughs> you know, a blank book with quotes by women. And 12-year-old Kristen felt that I should uh, just basically discuss the quotes, right? Because at 12, I don't know that I had a lot of or deeper inner workings. And so it is funny because the first several pages – I just, I dissected the quotes. And so I just, I opened up to a random page with with age 12. And you can tell, I can tell age 12 because I'm writing in cursive. Um, So let's look at this one. So there's a quote at the top by Emily Post. And it says, she must not swing her arms as though they were dangling ropes. She must not switch herself this way and that. She must not shout. And she must not, while wearing her bridal veil, smoke a cigarette. I, as an adult, I just find that quote to be precious, right? Yes. yes. So let's listen to what 12-year-old Kristen thought about (laughs) it. I wrote, Miss Post specialized in etiquette, yet if you were to follow every single one of her, quotes rules, you probably wouldn't be able to move. I mean, nothing mean to her, but I don't believe she would be invited to any parties these days. (laughs) If she threw a party, everyone would be too insecure to go. I didn't and never will know Miss Post seriously, but I do believe that she is a know-it-all snob. Three exclamation points, underlined three times, point made. No Emily Post for Kristen. But super innocent. (laughs) 12-year-old innocent. Super innocent. So can you take us through something a little? Yes, how it gets a little darker. So that was, I I didn't even date date the pages back then. And then as, as the days move on, Um, My writing gets a lot smaller, and I start to talk about a lot of serious stuff as I move into high school. So I kept this journal, actually, um, for high school through early college. Um, It it was probably a feature on my nightstand until I was – I bought a new one after I graduated from college. So that's how long I had kept it. So impressive. Um, So let's move on to I am a junior in high school. Dear Diary – Why is it that everything can seem so wonderful and then it all has to fall apart? On last Saturday, I went to the mall with Jay. It was actually a blast. I really can't stand Brian anymore. He's way too immature. My problem is that I like Billy now. (laughs) Michelle and Brandy both swear he likes me. He'd call me, and besides, when I told him I didn't want to go out with Brian, he said I should just for fun. But he did invite himself over to my house yesterday. All we did was watch TV Oh, and he used the phone, of course. Tim called today. That only put me in a good mood for a few seconds. The only problem was that he kept talking about how it was too bad we didn't get to sleep together often enough. Damn, that's the only reason guys like me. I'm so many O's sick of it. I guess one of the reasons I feel so bad is because I have a very bad cold and Jay lost my mom's class ring. What a dodo. What the hell am I supposed to do? Oh, gee, Mom, I didn't. he didn't mean to lose it. Another really wonderful thing is that swim team practice started today. I hate it already. We're going to be running on the track. Yay. I got two bullseyes today in archery. I'm sick of North Carolina. 
I want to go back to Florida. I miss everyone, especially Katie. What I need right now is Katie's shoulder to cry on. I went trick-or-treating yesterday. I was wearing these ugly plaid pants, and some guy that answered the door had on a matching pair. I went with Allison and David. It was pretty cool. Well, it's bedtime now. So you can see it kind of <laughs> it goes all over the place, but it goes to like some really hard places, you know. Yeah. And the thing is, is that I guess that was actually sophomore year of high school. And I basically was really trying hard to figure out relationships. Yeah. So let me ask yeah. this, because I think some parents might be listening to this and saying, oh, well, I would want to know that about my daughter, <laughs> yes. right? So let's talk about why parents don't need to read their kids' journals to be a good parent or parent effectively. Yes. Well, I think a big one is um, a lot of those statements in there were exaggerations. Yes! <laughs> right! <laughs> And 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 if we take our kids' journal for fact, yes. then we're really going to rupture the yes. trust and relationship. Yes. We need to understand that our kids are exaggerating. It's emotional. They're irrational, which is a healthy process for them to write down. Yes. Right? Yeah. I had this terrible thing where I referred to any type of sexual contact as, I think I called it either sleeping with them or getting kinky. Um, which I'm sure as a parent, <laughs> you don't want to see either. And <laughs> I'm actually, you can't tell, but I'm, I'm already blushing, you know. And the thing is, is that, but that was me trying to figure out how do you, how does one do intimacy? Yeah. Like, what does that look like? And I, it, I wanted to be able to have this sense of like, what are the boundaries and how do you have boundaries? And so there's a lot of like, me spinning through, like, who is a good friend and who isn't a good friend yep. and how do I ma- figure this stuff out? Right. And, um, but yeah, I'm, I've always been the kind of person who speaks really impulsively and hopefully I've gotten better about it in my 40s, but not always. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that it was really a process of being an emotional mind. Yes. And I also think, okay, so if your mom had read that, she would have taken it for fact that when you said sleeping together, that you were actually having sex with a lot of people, right? Which is the unfortunate outcome. Right. Right. And had she read that and confronted you, she never would have believed you and you Mm -mm. saying like, well, I'm really not. Yes. She would have taken that as the truth. Yes. And that, you know, what happened was... After my father had read it, so he did this thing where he um, confronted me on Mount Mitchell, and then what he said was, um, I'm not going to share any of this with your mother because I know how upset she would be, oh. And um, but we are going to take you to a therapist because we think you need to see a therapist. And I kind of laugh at this because I do feel like that was a missed opportunity for me because what happened next was we landed in this therapist's office, um, and I... Uh, I've always wanted to track her down, and just, but I know she wouldn't remember this. But at the same time, there's a part of me that you do sometimes remember some of these yeah. moments. And so we arrive in this therapist's office, my dad, my mom, and I, and she says, tell me about the problems you're having with Kristen. Tell me about what's going on. And my dad just immediately does this like word vomit of, I read her journal, and she's doing this, and she's doing that, and, and she's having sex. And I look across the room at my mom whose face, like first her jaw drops and then her face turned to stone. And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. And and that was the hard part was she really felt like I probably had been sexually active with like everybody that was in my journal. And um, 
it was really, it's really hard to unpack that, right. you know, because it was like, no, but, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and the thing was, is that that betrayal of trust was huge, you know, and so then it also brings up that other element that I come across a lot in family therapy, it, which is, should parents keep secrets from each other, mm, you know? Yep. So first of all, let's, let's kind of dive into the journal piece. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we, you know, I feel like there are times and I, that the parents are going to be really concerned. And so they have no information and the journal is this very tempting thing. Yep. And yeah, we've already, we've already discussed the idea that chances are whatever shared in the journal is pretty extreme. Not it's accurate information. Not accurate information. It's all from emotional mind. Yep. And we might want them to have that tool to be able to be the place where they process emotional mind. Right. So what do we do? It's tempting. How do we not give in? Right, right. And I think that we have to remember if we can keep in mind that the journal is not accurate information, there are other avenues into our kids, right? So let me let me ask, um, what other ways, if parents are concerned that their kids are having sex, doing drugs, being bullied, bullying other people, yeah. um, struggling, what other ways can parents approach their kids instead of looking for facts to be able to say, see, I know what you're doing? Yeah. Well, I would say that the thing that I wish my parents had done mm-hmm. was try to get to know my friends and try to actually get to know their parents as well. Like to me, if they had gotten a little bit more invested in what I was doing, probably a lot of the bad stuff I was doing wouldn't have happened, yeah. you know? You're right, because the more a community is connected, the, you know, there are less secrets. Things are more open. We're not willing to take negative risks, yes. right? Yes. When you think about provocative behavior, mm-hmm. right, and even like my speaking provocatively, all of that was attention-seeking, right? Yeah. And, I, and, if, and really the theme throughout my journal was attention-seeking from guys. And I see this some, uh, a lot in my clinical practice, right? And when I think about when I see that attention-seeking is I think about how do we fill that need for attention as yeah. parents in ways that help our kids feel positively connected to us, yeah. you know? And I was actually just talking to my husband about this the other day because I had a family and I really encouraged that dad needs to be actually writing notes to his daughter, you mm-hmm. know, because she needs to be able to have, like, she's attention-seeking and she's in this place where she really needs to have these touchstones. And I have, I it was only two, but two times in my life, my dad had given me books and he ins- he wrote a little, you know, to Kristen, yes. very short and sweet. But I will never, ever get rid of those books because that's like, it's precious. Right. And so I do feel like there are ways, like if we can understand that maybe the behavior we see could be driven by something else, you know, and how do I fill that? Like, how do I help them to feel really attached and really connected even when or especially when they're being really ugly, right? right? <laughs> it's funny you say that about the the notes. Um, I can recall the first time my dad ever, ever wrote a note in my birthday card and said something really thoughtful, and yeah. I still have that today, and it was – it really was a pivotal moment in yes. my emotional development and my relationship with my dad. Yeah. So I do think there is something really important to think about. We don't need a journal to be the door into our children. Mm-hmm. But if we make purposeful attempts to connect with them emotionally, 
Even if they are not giving us the information or their emotion, if we are connecting to them, they're listening, they're hearing that, they're feeling that, and that is really powerful. Yeah. I mean, it it kind of makes me think about maybe a good replacement for the spyware would be like, I mean, you you guide me. (laughs) Because I was thinking it might be like, I need you to just tell me about what you're doing. Like, talk to me for five or ten minutes, you know, instead of, instead of me like tracking with the communication you're having with your friends, which, you know. Right. Would it be okay for you to just kind of tell me about your friends and what you like about them and maybe like let me into your world just a tiny bit? Do you think that that would be manipulative? (laughs) (laughs) I actually think that's brilliant, right? Because if we can say to our our kids like – hey, I'm worried about you. I'm feeling disconnected. Here may be the signs I'm thinking, but you tell me what's going on for you. Is there anything I can help you with? And saying to our kids, like, I feel like I don't know as much about your life anymore and I really want to. Help me understand. But we have to be, we have to, here's the key point. We can't be critical of our of our kids, right? Yes. If we're like, listen, I hate the crowd you're running around with. They are no good. You tell me why you like them. No, we, you've just like yeah. slammed the door, yes, right? Exactly. But if, if our goal is to not have the journal be our source of information, to instead have a closer connection with our kid, then we need to figure out how to get closer. And if they're not willing, I know there's a lot of parents who are like, well, she won't talk to me. He won't talk to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I bet they're still listening. Yes. So time together adds adds value and or yeah. like we'll break down barriers yes. over time yeah it creates that sense of safety yeah. you know I mean it's funny because I have a point of like trying to hug each of my children like every single day for a period of time because my goal is for them to feel positively emotionally connected to me yes. you know like it's like and it's and that's like basic biology is that when they're being hugged their brain is releasing oxytocin they are in it at the brain level feeling loved and so I feel like if I can like lay that foundation (laughs) then maybe (laughs) it'll go somewhere so let me ask you this Kristen after you knew after your dad blew the door wide open (laughs) on this I've read your journal I know it all um how how open were you with him going forward did it increase your trust knowing that he (laughs) went through your journal no yeah it's funny because I think it actually I stopped writing in the journal yeah um, I think I really think I stopped until college, and then I, I. And the funny thing is, I just have like this deep emotional connection to my journal because of all the emotions I processed in it. Yeah. So, I just think that I went through this long pause where I wasn't going to share that part of myself, um, and then I went back to it eventually. But was that helpful to not have that resource? Gosh, no, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> no, and and really, I think that he could have gotten that information. I really do. Like there was a part of me that always and I think that this is something that parents have to trust is our attachment like our child's desire to attach with us is always there like I mean I see adults who have spent their entire adulthood trying to figure out how to not be so attached to their parent because it just it's biological we want to be attached to them and so that's something I think also parents have to trust is they really they always want that attachment and if we can be a safe space Mm -hmm. They might actually allow for that, you know. Right. So how about this issue of do our kids have the right to privacy? So there was actually, um, when I was looking for more information, I found a Psychology Today in February of 2017, a a Dr. Darling wrote um, an essay that was a response to or kind of a deeper explanation of a New York Times um, ethics section question where a mom had written in saying, my daughter expresses her innermost thoughts, concerns, fears, hopes for the future, 
in self-reflections in a diary. I feel it is important to read it so I can frame a guiding narrative to boost your confidence, assuage your fears, minimize and redirect negative habits, and provide encouragement. It all sounds really positive and sweet, but the ethics um, advisor said that the truth is that it's still it's just justification for snoo- snooping, and it's not going to actually help improve relationship with daughter. And what Dr. Darling stated was that we have to understand that kids are going to have information that's private. Yeah. They and they need to be able to have that private world, and they need to be able to develop their confidence within their private world. And as hard as it is, we don't know their private world. I always take it a step further, and you know, because sometimes I think parents will think that we can read their minds, and we cannot read their minds. You know, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, anybody you've known for a really long time, you're going to be terrible at reading their mind. You know. It turns into a stereotype. And so what she instead says is we have to develop that sense of safety and trust. Mm-hmm. And she brings up the interesting point of sometimes one parent is more likely to be the trustworthy parent than another. And in that case, there's going to be what a permeable boundary between those two. So the child may share some of their private information with that one parent because they feel trusted, and that one parent is then tasked with whether or not the other parent yeah. is allowed into that bo- that bond. And she makes a case for that parents need to be open to the idea that one parent can be the one who carries more of the secrets, and the other parent can be comfortable with being left out. And that's where I it, it really kind of – that was where I got a little challenged because I've always felt – and when I do family therapy, I've always been a pretty strong advocate for the idea that when parents keep secrets from each other, it actually creates a lot of problems in the family system. Mm-hmm. And so I never want my parents to be secret keepers. You know, I understand – And I think she makes a good point that maybe you're going to get more trust. You're going to get more of that that permeable bond will be able to be sustained if there is an understanding that the information stops with that parent. But I also struggle with then you have a deeper bond between kid and one child. Yeah. And that puts the other parent in this othered position which over time can be really, that can be toxic. Right. But let me play devil's advocate here because I do think there are some situations where I could see myself keeping some secrets from my kids from my husband. Things that I remember being horribly embarrassing moments growing up, like maybe being at school and getting my period and having it leak through my pants, right? I might come home and cry to my mom about that, but then I would say, oh my God, don't tell dad. Yeah. Right? (laughs) So I think especially kind of when it comes to bodies changing and figuring that out and that sense of shame and humiliation that comes with these experiences, I really did not want my dad to know about those things. Yeah. Now, if, if my mom caught me smoking pot... (laughs) <laughs> but she never did, um, then, yeah, I would expect her yeah. to tell my dad, right? Yeah. Like, th- those are the things that, yeah, we're not keeping secrets of unhealthy behavior, but more so, like, I could see one one child feeling like they, they would be humiliated. Yeah. So that's where I struggle a little bit, where I think some some things might be okay to be kept with, a parent, yeah. with one parent. Yeah. So it, I guess it just it, – I, I think it matters to think about the intensity of the secret yeah. and then what you're doing with that secret information. You know, because it, it is interesting going back to, like, the experience of it kind of it all being dumped in the therapist's office – 
because part of why I was not information I wanted to share, and I think this is obviously what a lot of kids go through, is the other parent is usually the the parent who's the harder relationship, right? Yeah. And there's more of a sense of rejection or a sense of lack of lack of tie or lack of attachment. So that's the one that feels really tricky for yes. them to be on the information. Um, the flip side, though, is that I do think, like, what if your dad had come to you later and said, oh, Melissa, I heard about what happened at school and was, like, really kind and compassionate. Mm-hmm. You know, then you would have this, like, moment of attachment. <laughs> That's true. That's absolutely true. So, yeah, and I, and I think about could my dad have done that? I think he might have been way too embarrassed, you know? (laughs) But maybe he could have, and maybe that would have changed our relationship forever. So you bring up a really good point where um, secrets really don't work in families. Yeah. Um, And yet, are we, um, are both parents dealing with them really maturely and through a very highly emotional, intelligent lens? That's a good point, you know, because sometimes what parents I work with will do is they will... The official story is that information isn't being shared, but maybe the unofficial story is some information is being shared so that the parent is in the know. There's not this sense of, like, I'm the secret keeper. Um, but then the other parent is tasked with not acting on that information. Yeah, And I think that that's kind of an interesting boundary to set because it puts this parent, you know, it puts the other parent in this, inf- this place where they have information they're not allowed to act on. But it can be also interesting to think about the idea of, like, can they have the impulse control? You know, to not act on it. Right. Or potentially demonstrate that they can act in a way that's really comforting, you know? Yes. So it it, it is kind of, and a lot of that is, I guess, also really knowing your partner. Yes. Which which speaks volumes to we really need to be talking as parents about our game plan at all times. And if we don't think that our partner is acting in a really emotionally appropriate way to keep our kids trusting us, then we need to work together to call each other out on what we're doing wrong. Yeah. I mean, it kind of goes into like if we – I mean, I think some kids are naturally – just not communicative. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I think some kids just are not big sharers. And frankly, those kids don't always do great in a therapist's office either, right? right? You know, if they are not really in a place where they're open to talking about their emotions, if they are willing to write about their emotions, thank goodness, you know, and let them have that tool – but respect that tool. Yeah. And then I think the big piece is, is like, how do we make our communication, our relationship, a place of safety for them so that potentially should issues be coming up, they're open to sharing them with us. Right, right. right. Which I think parents need to remember, like, you don't want to have to dive into the deep end with your kids out of nowhere. So. Yeah. If you feel like, well, my kid doesn't want to spend time with us, they're not a big communicator, well, that's even more important to try to spend some quality time together that they enjoy. Like, do you have kind of routines or rituals of we have breakfast together, we go to the movies together, she doesn't share very much, but I try to share with her, or we spend time together, that still counts, right? Like, that is still building the relationship, and then it matters for, you know, there, there can be some growth in communication. They're listening even if they're not sharing. Mm-hmm. But then you're not diving into this deep end if you haven't been spending time together for years and then suddenly like, whoa, there's a problem. we got to go in deep. <laughs> yeah, well, here we are. We're, we've been here all along. We promise. <laughs> well, and I, I think that that's like – there was um, a colleague of ours, a guy named Sean Knuth, who does a lot of forensic psychology mm-hmm. work. And he one time – 
was speaking about electronics. And what he said was when he was growing up, his dad was very into camping and scouting to the point that Sean's an Eagle Scout. And um, But what Sean loved was electronics and playing video games. And his dad just was like, no way, not going to do it. That's not a place of connection. And obviously – Sean wanted connection and became an Eagle Scout to, to keep that con- connection. But what he always encourages parents is if your kid loves a video game, play it with them. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so, and I think that that can be hard as parents because we would love to be able to like pull them into our interests. Right. Do it in our terms. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but we have to recognize that. Sometimes that's just not going to happen. Right, right. So, all right, I'm going to ask a hard question, Kristen. Um, what about the mom who is listening right now and is saying that I don't need to read their journal if I'm just worried if they're kind of a little sad or, you know, maybe there's problems with friends, but I really think that my kid is using drugs. Yeah. I need to read their journal to find out. Yeah. Well, and I would say that, again, that's not the place you need to find out. You know, there are lots of different ways that we can find out if our kiddo is using drugs, the biggest of which is if we needed to, we can drug test them. I mean, I think that what you do is you start with, here are all the things I'm seeing that make me concerned. And the more you can lay out, here are the things that I'm seeing, the more you're going to be able to get engagement. It might be also about starting to limit some access to freedom, you know, and it could be what I often will tell my parents that I work with is you can kind of set it up as, you will have more freedom if you're willing to allow us to do drug testing, you know, and if you're not willing to allow us to do tra- drug testing, then we're going to have, you're going to have less freedom. Yeah. And that doesn't mean electronic monitoring. Like, please, like, I hate when families are like, oh, well, I can see where they are because I'm tracking their phone all the time. That's not the same thing as getting to know what your kid is doing and checking in regularly with your kid and, you know, even reaching out to the families of the kids that they're spending time with so yeah. that, I mean, be willing to be that weird parent who's like, you know, I just want to get to know you a little because my kid loves to spend time with your family yeah. um, so that you have that sense of connection and potentially you're going to be able to glean information from other places. You know, if they really seem like they're inebriated or that um, they're not um, totally sober, I think you need to explore that differently. Yeah. Um, that, that just reminds me in my high school, all of my friend, all of my friends' parents were friends together, including my parents. And so there was this sense of, we knew we had to be (laughs) very careful and be honest with our parents. Because if I said I was sleeping over at Carrie's house, but we were really sleeping over somewhere else or staying out all night, well, my mom is going to be talking to Carrie's parents and be like, hey, how are the girls? Can I bring over donuts in the morning? Yes, There was no getting away with a lot of that shenanigans. And I wonder if, I, I think our parents kind of did that on purpose to stay connected, and oftentimes they would, you know, after a football game, they'd all go out for a late dinner together knowing where we all were. So there was no lying in our group. Yes. <laughs> so there is some brilliance in making sure that you stay closely clinic- connected to your kids' friends. Parents. Yeah, yeah. And that might mean having relationships that you wouldn't necessarily have pursued on your own. Yep. But being open to that because it goes back to what you were saying that, you know, if a parent says, well, why would you want to be friends with that person anyways? Right. All you're really doing is creating defensiveness, which is going to make them want to 
be a little bit more secretive, which then like, you just end up going down the wrong pathway. Right. And I think some parents do think like, oh, well, if they know we don't approve of these friends, then they'll want to please us and they won't like them either. Yeah. But it's the total opposite no. way. <laughs> they like those friends even yes. more. <laughs> now they have this level of excitement. Yes. You know, yes. Now it goes exactly in the wrong way. <laughs> and I, I like what you're kind of saying, like – there's all these different plugs into our kids. And if we take the plug out of the journal being the entryway, we can find other plugs in. Totally. Totally. Um, uh, yeah. And I like I like when you kind of talk about they need this private world. I know growing up, um, we had more privacy because we didn't have text messages that could be read later. I didn't have to worry about my parents listening to my phone calls with my friends because there was no transcript of it for my parents to read afterwards and be like, well, I saw what you said. I don't like it. I'm worried about you. I had yeah. this privacy that I could work through things. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the thing is it's like I just think that it matters for us to be able to – to trust them, and even though it's scary as heck. <laughs> I think that's the big part. Like, moms, we hear you. It is scary, and I know you want to know what's going on. But especially if your kid finds out that you're reading their journal, you are really, really going to damage that relationship. Yeah. So I really encourage you, as as nervous as you might be, to feel like you don't have a lot of information, please try not to read the journal. Yes. So, you know, our challenge this week is – we're going to say maybe hashtag building trust. <laughs> so let's let's try to see what are some other ways we can connect and build trust. You know, so capture it. If you are playing video games with your kiddo or yes. you are having like the 30-second hug, <laughs> yes. try to see if you can capture it and put it out there so we can have a sense that there's another way to do this. We don't have to invade their privacy. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Curious Mother. Learn more at www.thecuriousmother.com, where you will find resources related to episode topics. Please join our community and add your voice. Follow us on Instagram at The Curious Mother. Thanks for listening. 